0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and the Trump presidency. I would like to remind you all that we have just launched our print edition and I'd like to encourage you all to subscribe. You can do that by going to www.spectator.us forward slash subscribe uh, and there you can take advantage of our various offers. I'm joined today by Jacob Harbrin, the editor of The National Interest. Um, we're going to be talking about Trump and Iran, what happens next. Jacob, last week, at the uh, end of last week, a lot of people were saying that World War Three was now imminent following the assassination of Qasem Soleimani. See, there has been quite a lot of uh, back and forth, uh, diplomatic back and forth, but it seems World War 3 hasn't quite broken out. What, where do you see things going now?
1: Well, Freddie, we are in the period of a phony war. If you remember, World War II didn't break out between the British and the French and the Germans for for some period of time. So both sides are eyeing each other warily. And today it's said that the Trump administration is doubling down in its preparations. They believe that the Iranians have been making some moves to station missiles And they're not sure whether it's in a defensive or an offensive posture. But there will be Iranian payback. That is is clear. Well,
0: yes, I mean, there has to be. But the Iranians have been quite keen to, if you like, PR their payback quite well. I mean, they've made it clear that uh, they're not going to commit terrorist actions. Um, Whether you believe them is another question. But in terms of the, the rhetoric, they've raised the red flag, yes. But what have they actually threatened to do?
1: literally raised a red flag over one of their mosques. Yes. Which does create a sense of foreboding. But in some ways, we have entered the era of ceremonial war, where each side signals, shoots, lobs off a few missiles, then waits to see what the other side does. So we simply don't know. It is... The, re- the Iranians obviously have a, a wealth of possibilities, including they've promised to level Haifa and Tel Aviv if the United States responds to the Iranian response. So no one really knows if, to how to discern between bluster and actual promises of action.
0: Well, yes, and then social media... Uh, provides a whole other avenue of, of bluster, which the Iranians seem to be engaging in as much as Trump and and his administration. I, I mean, uh, Trump tweeted about his willingness to destroy Iranian cultural sites, uh, and that generated a lot of pushback. Uh, UNESCO said that they, should, they couldn't do it. The Pentagon, I believe, has said that they can't destroy Iranian cultural sites. And then Pompeo, I saw today, Secretary Pompeo, he tweeted to Zarif, the Iranian foreign minister, that uh, nobody has done more to damage Iranian culture than the Iranian government itself.
1: Well, that's true, but bombing it out of existence would, would take it another step. Yes. And would, would obviously be a war crime.
0: The Trump approach seems to be, uh, you know, wh- why, why smash ISIS when you can become them?
1: <laughs> well, no thanks. <laughs> I think that Trump has become, in some ways, the best ally of the mad mullahs in tehran he has managed to whip up fervor for them that didn't exist i mean the regime was under under a sense of embattlement only a week ago but by taking out soleimani trump has revivified the iranian theocracy and he's prompted them to move towards building their own nuclear weapons again
0: And he may even, I mean, rapprochement might be putting it too strongly, but he may even have caused a thaw in in the chilly relations between Iran and Saudi Arabia, which would go against what seemed to be America and Israel's longer term strategy of isolating Iran.
1: Well, the Saudis are not enamored of the prospect of having their oil fields bombarded by Iran. They clearly don't want a war. Whether Trump wants a war, too, is ambiguous. He is operating off his gut, and he's been encircled by his advisors, such as Pompeo, who's been pushing for over a year for these assassinations, or if you prefer, liquidations of uh, leading Iranian officials. Pompeo and the others have an obsession with Iran. We have provoked Iran steadily since pulling out of the nuclear deal that Obama negotiated where this ends up it it could it could bolster Trump's presidency that's that's one theory that he will emerge as a powerful figure and the other one is that that it will destroy it
0: well uh, i suppose the the that what people who think Trump has done something good here would say is that he's so far only done bluster and now he's shown himself to be decisive and that it's not just he's not just he's not playing the crazy man theory he's actually is willing to to take decisive action
1: no he actually is crazy yeah (laughs) do you believe that i think he's at a minimum yes i think it was uh, totally reckless to 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 engage in this action and the there there's no sign the administration has any clue of where it's headed. Pompeo today in his press conference was unable to point to any imminent threat. And it seems that this is as bogus as the Gulf of Tonkin, which led to the Vietnam War. Now, Trump oh, Sorry, Jacob, just, his, to interru-
0: just to interrupt you, you're talking about imminent threat, that the, that Soleimani posed an imminent threat to American people in the Middle East.
1: Right, I mean, did he pose a threat? Yes, was it was it any more imminent than it was a year ago? Hogwash.
0: Well, let's look at look let's look at how other countries are reacting. I mean, there's interesting greater game in terms of other powers going on here. First of all, let's talk a bit about China. You know, I see that the Iraqi government appears to have reached out to China, which suggests that China could become more involved in Iraq and and that would make sense in terms of America gradually retreating from the Middle East and and it becoming a a Chinese sphere of influence. Uh, Do you think there's something in that?
1: No, I think that the Russians are the most likely to prosper from Trump's actions. They have had a touch and go relationship with the Iranians, and this is bound to make the Iranians more receptive to Russian overtures. The other country that could benefit obviously is china but i don't not to the same degree as russia and the the countries that are appear to be paralyzed with terror so to speak are the europeans including boris johnson who has not taken an unequivocal stand supporting his best friend donald trump
0: well yes but boris was always quite ambivalent about the iran deal Um, about Trump ripping up the Iran deal. Rightly so. And obviously the politics are more complicated for Boris because he's trying to extricate himself from Europe. But what's interesting is the Europeans seem to have been more aligned with Trump on this than than Britain, than Brexit Britain.
1: Well, perhaps you'll have your new grand alliance with Hungary.
0: (laughs) Well, let's get back to the Iranian question. What do you think will be
1: the next phase of this? I mean, do you think that... um, Actually, I'm not as eager to get back. I enjoy pummeling you about Brexit, honey.
0: <laughs> but I do want to get back to Iran because that is what we're supposed to be talking about. The uh, Who Dan, said we're supposed to be talking about it? I did. <laughs> it's my
1: podcast. Okay. You're, you can be the authoritarian. Go ahead. I'll be the authoritarian. It's a post-liberal
0: podcast. Dan McCarthy wrote a very interesting piece on, on Spectator USA, I thought, saying that actually Soleimani was a kind of neocon figure himself. He was always abroad trying to sow revolution... And was a was a hawk was a, was a war causer, which coming from Daniel McCarthy, who as we both know is is no hawk himself, I thought was quite an interesting response. What did you think of that piece
1: was Adolf Hitler a neoconservative well he was he predated it I thought that Dan was using too elastic a concept in in dubbing him a neocon but, the, but at that point it really does lose all meaning and i didn't I was surprised that Dan would have endorsed the killing because it seemed to me that Trump himself really was embracing the neocons in his own administration, that it was a version of the George W. Bush administration redux where you have Pence as an evangelical and Pompeo both thirsting for war against Iran and other neocons in the administration wanting to assert American power and wipe out a supposed nest of terrorism. So I did not find Dan's piece, although albeit provocative, not that persuasive.
0: We hear a lot about how, you know, what you've mentioned that they could level Tel Aviv and stuff. I mean, that seems to be quite a claim. I mean... Obviously, Iran is a big country, it's, it's, it's more menacing than Iraq was. But I mean, how much of a military threat can Iran pose?
1: I think it does pose a military threat in perhaps to Israel, principally in the form of Hezbollah in Lebanon, which it has outfitted with hundreds of thousands of rockets and, and missiles. And yes, you could have an all-out assault on Israel, but let's not forget that deterrence also prevails. That would open the door for Israel to level Iran and to finally take out its nuclear program as well. I don't think that the theocrats in Tehran are intent on committing suicide. We've seen that they're, they're pretty cautious. The, the, the danger arises if you had steady escalation and things started to move really fast, then it could spiral out of control. And then you have the Sarajevo moment that you ridiculed me for, uh, <laughs> for raising in, a, in an article in the National Interest. But in fact, then, then you do have outside powers getting drawn into a local conflict if the, entire, if the Middle East goes up in flames.
0: But I mean, the, the, the I suppose the the bigger point is that if if Tehran is not suicidal, and if Trump isn't really winning to at the moment doesn't seem to be willing to go like, certainly on Twitter he he sounds very aggressive but as far as we understand sort of post the assassination he's been making diplomatic overtures
1: w- might this just go nowhere. It's not going to go nowhere because the, Iran- the Iranians do have, to re- do have to and will respond. They're not going to take this lying down. The question then will be, does Trump respond on a hair trigger? Does he react from the gut and raise the stakes once again? Do we get into this cycle of escalation where we really are headed toward a war?
0: But what do you think about this idea that, Trump, that Twitter Trump, at real Donald Trump, It does the opposite of what the real Donald Trump does. So, for instance, during the assassination, we had no real indication of what was going on. He was actually quite quiet on Twitter for a long time around then. But then at the moment, you have nothing but threats and bluster on Twitter, and you probably have
1: Trump doing the opposite in reality. Well, if we thought he was doing the opposite, then they would have let the Iranian foreign minister, Javed Zarif, visit the United States this week. Instead, they've barred him from, from coming. If Zarif had been allowed to travel to New York, then he could have met with Jared Kushner. Potentially, he could have secretly traveled to Washington, D.C., met with Mike Pompeo, perhaps even Trump himself. None of that's occurring. So it does suggest that Pompeo has the whip hand, and he's, he indicated yesterday that he will not run for Senate from the state of Kansas. So he will remain Secretary of State. And I think, you know, Pompeo is being called the viceroy of American foreign policy. Our friend Kurt Mills is even calling him the acting president. So we are in uncharted charted territory, Freddie. It's, yes, there has been Twitter Trump and Trump has always previously restrained himself, including calling off an attack on Iran 10 minutes before it was supposed to launch. But this time he did seize the most extreme measure and the governors that were around him, Jim Mattis, Rex Tillerson, they're all gone. Trump is now being pushed to take a harder line by his advisors. He's not being restrained.
0: Well, let's talk about Pompeo, because Pompeo is very, he's an evangelical, and he seems very sort of connected to evangelical foreign policy thinking, if you like. Is that quite frightening? Because, of course, there is famously the the, the sort of end times eschatology that almost demands destruction in the Middle East.
1: Right. I don't, I wouldn't suppose that, tr- that this is what Pompeo is trying to bring about in a, in a sort of twilight of the gods scenario yeah but he clearly is inflected by it and he lives in a Manichaean world he regards the iranians as an errant pupil that needs to be spanked and paddled and brought back into line that he speaks of them as though they were children rather than an autonomous state and That's why I think we are more likely than not headed toward a outright conflict with Iran. And
0: with uh, as we enter election year, how does this affect Trump's chances
1: of re-election? I think it's extremely perilous for him. He was elected on the basis of withdrawing from Middle East wars. And if he precipitates a new war, I don't think there's a constituency for it in the United States any longer. George W. Bush was able to pivot off of 9-11 and not only attack Afghanistan, but then also launch a war in 2003 against Iraq. But now we've been fighting these wars for decades and they've been both a financial drain and shown no significant military progress. So I'm incredulous that Trump would go down this road.
0: Well, let's talk about this again when we are further down that road. Thank you very much, Jacob. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Americano. And I'd like to encourage you all to give us your feedback, positive comments or constructive comments only, please, to podcast at spectator.co.uk and say anything you like there as long as it's reasonably polite.